You're now tuning into the Barely Hibernating Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network, featuring Bear Report's own Usaid Kosho and fan-sided Sam Stevenson and AJ Desai. Here are your hosts. Back-to-back 30-point games, the Bears' offense is certainly finally looking like it's clicking. It could be too little too late. It could be an offensive resurgence that actually matters since they're playing meaningful football in December for the third straight year. What's going on, guys? Welcome into the Barely Hibernating Podcast as part of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. I get to be your host, Usaid Koshal. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Usaid Koshal. I'm joined by my left and right hand guys, AJ Desai and Sam Stevenson. You can follow them on Twitter at AJ Desai4 and at Sam Steven. SJ Steve09. Sorry for butchering your uh, Twitter handle, Sam. But, anyways, joining us today, and speaking of offensive resurgence, joining us today, we've got on the author of the Chicago Bears, the 2018 Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual, Bobby Peters. You can follow him on Twitter at B underscore Peters12. How are we doing, guys? Great. I'm excited to talk football. I was doing great until you butchered my Twitter handle. No, I'm just kidding. I'm doing great. Excited to talk, Bears. Doing fantastic, man. Yeah, so Bobby, I mean, we have a number of questions for you, right? And I've been digging into your book throughout the weekend. So I got to ask you first off, like kind of what inspired you to dig into the 2018 Bears? Because I know at the beginning of the book, you, the book, you mentioned that it was the first year of the Nagy and Trubisky era, and then Trubisky was essentially learning everything on the fly. Uh, so um, every year I'd like to look at um, different, different offenses, different schemes and try to learn from them. Um, you know, I take these deep dives and eventually, you know, obviously it, it leads to writing the books and, you know, in 2018, you know, I saw a lot of good stuff. The bears, especially the first half of the season, the bears are doing offensively. A lot of, a lot of schemes are getting guys open. They're uh, doing some creative stuff in the run game too, that kind of, you know, led me down that path to, to want to study them further and end up diving into the book, which, you know, Usually you have to probably make that decision by like week 10 to week 12, you know, if you're going to dive into the book so you can get it out at a reasonable time. Um, and that's, and that's what I did in 2018. And a part of it too, is I grew up in Chicago and I still am a Chicago bears fan. You know, I'm from the, the, the West suburbs. So, um, you know, that kind of had an influence an influence on it too. You know, I was pretty excited that the bears finally had potentially, you know, uh, you know, a real big boy NFL offense. And, you know, that was, that was something pretty exciting to want to dive into. So, I mean, you know, you talked about making this, you have to make the decision by like week 10 or 12, right? So just in time for the stretch run, kind of how long did it take you to put this entire thing together? So typically a complete manual like that. Um, so I, so I, I did that for the 2018 bears. And then last year I did it for the 2019 49ers. So typically every week, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll download the film. I'll cut up the film, label it, make sure, make sure that's all done. And then, you know, probably week eight, somewhere in there, I'll start writing the actual text. I'll start outlining, you know, creating the different sections for the different concepts they run. And then as time goes on, you know, each week, you know, they, they might have some specific game plan thing, you know, things here or there that, you know, I'll say, Oh, well, wow, that's, that's an important piece to a, uh, to a section of the book. So I'll write that section just because it's fresh in my head, um, you know, for that specific defense they were playing or something. And then, you know, just kind of going from there. And then typically I like to knock out like the big sections, um, you know, like the base run schemes, the base pass schemes early on, just because, you know, um, you have enough film on that to start writing the section. Some of the auxiliary stuff they do, um, you have to wait towards the end of the season to get enough clips to be able to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, you, you start, you know, the, you start from week one with the film and then, um, yeah, obviously you, you, you keep up with that as you go along and then you start the book writing probably halfway through the season. At least that's what I do to try. So my goal is to try to get it out, you know, a couple of weeks after their last game. Well, I was going to say, um, 
so you take, um, obviously you, you kind of explained like the process of that and like, you know, obviously the 2018 offense did look like a great offense. I guess my first initial question, I feel like we can kind of break this question up into chunks and pieces, but what was the biggest drop off that you noticed in 2019 compared to 2018? And again, I think there's multiple ways we can take this and like ask about it, follow up questions, but I mean, you come into the 2019 season as a Bears fan like the rest of us, and you clearly can tell that things are not what they used to be in 2018. What was the biggest notice that you saw that, like, there was clearly signs of regression and ineptitude on this offense? So we definitely saw it towards the end of 18. We kind of saw the signs of it. We saw it kind of going backwards a little bit. But, I mean, that happens throughout a year. I mean, if I remember back to that year, you know, the, the LA Rams, right? Like they started off 2018, they were breaking records, you know, run game, pass game, they were scoring 40 points a game type of thing. And then towards the end of the year, I mean, the Bears game is a great example. You know, Fangio kind of figured them out a little bit, um, you know, started to slow them down. You know, they're not scoring as many points. And then you obviously, we got that Super Bowl matchup where they only, I think it was like 13 to three or something was the final against the Patriots. And then in 2019, they just kind of picked right back up and they, you know, Sean, they made some scheme adjustments and moved on. Um, that was kind of a weird sidetrack. I don't know where I was going with that. But anyways, the, in, with the case with the Bears is, honestly, it's a little bit of everything. It's, it's Mitch Trubisky not, not being able to go through a full progression, um, not, not being able to trust the progression, not being, not being confident in it. It's the offensive line starting to struggle. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, it's Matt Nagy's play calling, not focusing and not expanding on the certain parts of their playbook that were working and kind of just kind of doing kind of like the, you know, the a la carte stuff he was doing early in the season, which, you know, when in your first year, first half of your first year, you want to have an a la carte approach because you want to see what sticks. You want to see, okay, what, what fits our personnel and it takes time to gel. You know, I think the new England Patriots are the best example of that every year where, you know, it always takes, it always took Tom Brady a couple, you know, a couple games, a couple weeks to figure out, okay, what this year, what's our personnel good at? What are, what are our receivers good at running? You know, that kind of stuff. And it just seemed like with the bears, they kind of had that, they continued that approach towards the end of 2018. And then in 2019, there was just, there wasn't like like a building on their base concepts type of thing from a scheme standpoint. Um, but but in short, to answer your question, it's a, it's a little bit of everything because you know obviously Trubisky didn't get better at those base concepts either. They actually regressed quite a bit in 2019 with the stuff that they were good at in the beginning of 2018. Well, I guess to kind of to kind of follow up on that, I know you said a little bit of everything, but do you personally put blame on a specific area? Like I know a lot of people blamed Mitch last year. A lot of people blamed Nagy. Um, I think some of that criticism's carried over to this year in some areas, but like, do you personally think that there's one area that like, is like, if you had to put this on paper and put it in an order of like, this is the rankings of why the offense has failed in 2019. And here's the number one reason. What would your number one reason be? It'd be quarterback. Um, it'd be quarterback. And I actually, I wrote a blog article. I don't, I don't post a ton to my blog site as much anymore, just because I have a lot of other outlets, you know, like the book writing and stuff. But I posted, I kind of like, I think I called it the final autopsy, breaking down the Bears. I, mean, I wrote it like last January, breaking down the 2019 season. And I listed, like, like you said, there's a lot of other reasons for what went wrong. Matt Nagy is not blameless. He uh, definitely confronts some of this. Um, but the quarterback's the number one issue. And I talk about throughout 2019 in that article, actually, I've got the video clips linked in there too. I, put, I made some uh, cutups just for that article where. You know, we always hear, you know, you know, people, you know, the talking heads on like 670 to score and AM 1000 and stuff talk. Oh, no, you got, you know, you got to cut the field in half for Mitch, get him out of the pocket. Well, if you look at the data and you look at the film, that that didn't really work when Nagy did that in 2019. It didn't really work either. Like his numbers, I think his not passer rating, I think it was like his yards per attempt 
on rollouts are the exact same as in the pocket. And you look at, you look at, I think it was one specific, the one that jumps out to my head is that, that game, I can't remember if it was a Thursday night game or a Monday night game against Dallas last year, where he he's going out of the pocket and just throws an egregious interception in the red zone where like he should have like, I think he was trying to throw it away, but he didn't quite throw it away enough. But anyways, I mean, that's just one specific example, but I go through the article kind of talking about, okay, you know, there's people that wanted to blame Nagy for Trubisky's struggles last year, you know, and what he did and didn't do with the scheme. But then I, I look at, when you look at the film and you look at the data, like that's just not true. The, he struggled basically in every, in every aspect. And the one specifically too, one that, you know, personally kind of, kind of ate at me the most was his inability to read RPOs consistently and well. And, you know, we talk about RPOs and, you know, as, as, you know, people that might not understand football, like, you know, people that might not coach or be as involved with the game, when you hear RPO, you think, okay, that's complicated, right? Like the quarterback has to read, you know, he's reading a run play. It's, you know, it, it, it might seem complicated, but it's actually the easiest read a quarterback can make in football because when you call an RPO, you don't need to audible the run. Like a lot of, like, for instance, like the San Francisco 49ers, they'll call two run plays in the huddle and based on how the defense lines up, the quarterback's got to pick the right play. Well, with an RPO, you just run it because, if the defense does a certain thing and they line up in something that's bad for that run look, you've got the pass component off of it where the quarterback will pull the ball and throw the route that adjusts for that, for that look. And in that case, the quarterback just reads one defender. It's as simple as it gets in high school football, college and NFL. And I coach high school football too. And um, you know, the RPOs that we, that we use and install, it's as simple as it gets for our guys. And when I see Mitch Trubisky struggling with these exact, literally the exact same plays that I'm running at the high school level, I mean, that, that begs to, you know, it's not like I'm coaching the next Patrick Mahomes either too. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, you know, it's just, you know, we've got, we've got starters, we've got backups and guys that can run these concepts. And when I see Trubisky struggling with it relatively consistently, I mean, he's not, he's not terrible at him, right? Like they still get big plays off of him, but when he's struggling with these types of plays, like where, where do you go from there as a coach? Like, how do you, how do you simplify it? How do you make it easier? That's literally as easy as it gets. Unless you say, okay, we'll call an RPO, but you tell him whether to, to pull it or throw it. But now you're just guessing. So you might as well just call play action at that point, but yeah, um, like I, I completely agree uh, with what we're, uh, what you said there, uh, man. I mean, like I played quarterback in high school for three years, so I, I completely understand what you're saying. I mean, like there's no second guessing when you actually call the RPO. You just run it. I mean, if you if you lose a couple of yards, it's, it's just it is what it is. Just run it again. If you get get back up and run it again, right? So I mean, it's as simple as it gets. But my question is, is that like. How how do you think the philosophy changed from 2018 to 2019 in this Bears offense, um, and then 2020, of course? So I don't I don't think, especially from 18 to 19, I don't think the philosophy changed at all. I think I think the philosophy stayed the same, yeah. and that's you know, and that and that's that's something that you know I go back and forth on with Matt Nagy because you you want him you know as a coach right like any coach. Any, you know, in coaching circles, we always talk about, okay, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't run something that you don't know. Run what you know, because you're able to fix it. You're able to fix the problems, right? If I, if I start, you know, coaching the wishbone tomorrow, right, because it fits my personnel best, well, say the defense lines up in like a, like a bear front. Like, I, I don't know what to adjust, right? I've never coached the wishbone. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have to coach what you know, and there's a reason that they have these systems, right? Because these systems have answers. And the Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, Doug Peterson system does have answers, my issue schematically and philosophically with what Nagy has been doing so far within his Bears tenure is it the, the a la carte approach to the, at least to the pass game, the a la carte approach to, okay, let's run this concept. Now let's run this concept. 
and there's not a ton of like building on it. It's more like, oh, this is a good cover three beater. Let's run this this week. Like it's, you know, week to week, it's not like, okay, we run this concept. Okay, now let's run the same concept, but tag a double move or, you know, tag the backside receiver with a different route to adjust against, you know, this team likes to drop their safety down type of thing. So um, that, that, that philosophical approach is, is kind of where, where I sometimes have my issues with Maggie, but I, I don't know if, if it really changed a ton from 18 to 19. And then from 19 to 20, they definitely, especially the first few weeks of 20, you know, when Trubisky was, was the starter, you know, his first stint as the starter, they focused real heavily on the outside zone running scheme. And that was working real well until, you know, I, I think I can't remember if they had guys injured or guys out with COVID on the O-line. And then once that kind of fell apart, then the offense looked how it did, you know, back in 2019. Cause you know, if you can't run the ball, I don't, I don't care how good you are, you know, in other aspects, unless you're, you know, one exception being Pat Mahomes and the chiefs, if you can't run the ball in the NFL, it's hard to build on other stuff because you're constantly in second longs. Which brings me to my next question is this like, um, as I'm watching Trubisky play in 2019 in the first couple of weeks in 2020. And this is, um, do you, do you think that like this, like Nagy is just like giving giving up on him. Like he just can't learn. Like like you were answering to Sam's question. Like he just can't progress. He just cannot um, read defenses the way that NFL QBs can. Is he? Is it over for him, or is it just like like what's going on? Like so giving up. So giving up is. I, I don't know if that. I, I I can't answer that. You know specifically to that point, but I think there definitely were adjustments made halfway through nineteen where Nagy's like, all right, like we can't just keep doing what we're doing. We have to. Like he took a ton of like Nagy took a ton of flack last year for never adapting and adjusting. He adjusted a ton. He he adjusted. He simplified. He pared back. They weren't running as much down the stretch. But you know, with that said, you're taking away some of your explosive playability. You're taking away your ability to attack defenses different ways when you simplify in that game. And in that sense, and especially at the NFL level, that's harder to do because defensive coordinators and defense and defend you know linebackers and safeties study so much film. If you simplify enough, they can really get a beat on what you're doing. And unfortunately, that's kind of what Nagy had to do with Trubisky to get, you know, to get him to play his best football. And yeah, I mean, I, give it, I don't know about giving up, but he definitely like that's that's admitting that he can't run the offense the way it's designed. And it, if you want to frame it as giving up, you know, that's I, I you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue that a ton, but I, I think that's. I mean, yes and no. Yeah, no, it's a fair answer. I mean, it's completely fair. I mean, thank you. I appreciate it, man. So, I mean, here's my next question. How much just did you see anything change when they finally did go to Foles for the six to seven games in terms of the way that the offense was executed compared to when they did it or compared to when Mitch Trubisky was running the offense? So Nagy, um, so I haven't, I haven't been cutting up the film with, with the 2020 season. I got a few other projects, um, going on right now. So I haven't been downloading and cutting that up as religiously as I did 18 and 19, but they definitely went back more to that 18, like, Hey, let's, let's run everything. Let's, you know, let's the full playbooks back open. You know, we've got an experienced veteran here. We can kind of take advantage of it. The biggest, my biggest shock with this Bears season, is just, and I don't know if this is just ignorance that I haven't, you know, I didn't study Nick Foles before, but how bad Foles was for that stretch. I mean, he was just, there was like two or three plays a game where he just, complete brain melt, you know, uh, like, a, like I think it was the, the interception in, against Carolina in the red zone where he's like falling backwards and he just like chucks it up. I mean, you know, we, you know, we talk about, you know, high school football, right? Like I coach high school guys. If my high school quarterback did that, I mean, I'd be, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? That's, that's something that like, you know, freshmen and sophomores quarterbacks don't even, don't even make that mistake. Right. So like, especially at the NFL level for a veteran, a Super Bowl champion, like Nick Foles is, you know, like, 
I, I don't know how you explain that. And it's Matt Nagy. Like, what, what do you say to Foles when he comes off the field? Like, he, know, he knows that's wrong. You know, like, I, I don't. And that stuff just kills. You know, like you're in the red zone. You know, that, that's the point you're taking off the board. I mean, that to me, to me just the way, the way he played was surprising to me. And then, obviously, you know, to the Bears. I mean, if, he, if, if they get an average Nick Foles, they probably squeak out another couple wins early in the season. Um, during the, I don't know what I don't know what the record was when they switched back to or when Trubisky took back over, but I mean there was probably at least another game or two they might have been able to win or you know to, to pull out, and then you know the conversation right now would be a lot different than what it is surrounding the team. On paper, do you think that the Foles trade prior to the season beginning was the right move at quarterback this offseason? Because I think now looking at it, I think a lot of people would argue it wasn't. You know, I, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for, okay, you know, oh, he knows the system. You know, that's the cliche that, that coaches like to say that you know, people in the media like to say, and, you know, for better or worse, it is, it does matter, you know, that these guys know the system and they're familiar with it. That's definitely an advantage, but I mean, definitely from a skill set standpoint, Foles wasn't the first guy I was looking at. And you got to look at skill set before you look at whether he knows the system or not. I mean, that's just, you know, you got to do your homework on that, on that part of it first, you know, obviously with, with what happened in 2019, they definitely believed, and I believe too, that you know, the quarterback being the number one issue. Okay, you saw, you relatively solve that. You get baseline average quarterback play. You know, the Bears last year with baseline average quarterback play probably win 10, 11 games, and I mean that's a good that's a good season. You know, that's a good season, and you know, uh, by Bears standards and NFL standards. So, you know, I think that's I think that's what they were going for, and I think that's what they were expecting from Nick Foles, and they just they didn't get it. Um, so, I mean, hi, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but. I think the process of you know identifying the need to get a quarterback was was the right thinking, um, you know obviously and you know with no draft with no draft capital and not a ton of I don't know what their cap space was like but you know it's not like they had a ton of options either so but you know obviously giving up giving up a pick and then obviously you know paying him as much as they did you know obviously that looks pretty bad now because Foles was bad but if Foles was average you know I don't think we're I think we're saying that was money well spent but no I think. I think the process was right. I definitely wasn't excited when I heard Foles was the guy. I was kind of like, oh, okay, we'll see. But, um, you know, they had to do something. And, you know, if they didn't get – I would have been furious if they did nothing at the position. Yeah, I feel like, you know, with the Foles trade, because I remember exactly where I was when it happened, I feel like it was just one of those super bad moments. And it was on a rainy day too, so it kind of fits everything, right? But do you – Think that the because a lot of fans, right? When I look on social media, they blame the offensive line, right? How much do you think the O line struggles have kind of attributed to just this regression and off on the offensive side of the ball? Offensive line definitely plays a huge part of it. When we, I think, especially as fans, you know, we we under we underestimate the importance of offensive line success and overall offensive success. When you look, when I put on Kansas City uh, Kansas City Chiefs tape and I see what Patrick Mahomes is doing, that offensive line. I mean, they they got they got guys all you know Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle. They got some other some of their other guys too um, doing an awesome job, you know, playing it at, at, at you know at, at really high levels, and that allows Patrick Mahomes to go through his reads, you know, kind of do his backpedal thing and um, you know whatever else he does. But yeah, I think offensive line, especially in the Bears situation, the, the shuffling. I mean, Rashad Coward was awful. I mean, anytime, anytime I put on the tape, I mean, he, it, it was hard to watch. And, um, you know, obviously this Sunday is a good example of, especially that first play that David Montgomery touched on on all, you know, the, the offensive line was in sync. That was an outside zone running, running scheme. And they, you know, um, you know, the right, the right tackle reached the, the backside three technique and created a huge lane for David Montgomery. And that's, 
you know, that's the beauty with, you know, the, the scheme, right? Is the Bears run a ton of outside zone out of light personnel groupings because that's really conducive to RPOs. And they actually ran a ton of RPOs this past Sunday with it. But that particular play, you know, the, the backside tackle cutting off the three technique, I mean, that's really the only block you need. And then the rest of the guys kind of, you know, they follow their rules. They kind of wash the rest of the line and the linebackers out. And, you know, you got an 80-yard touchdown run from basically one or two guys, you know, really executing their blocks on the backside. Yeah, that run was really beautiful. But, like, you know, going back to what you said about Nick Foles is that, like, you know, we saw what the Eagles did in 2017. And, like, I, like I'm actually one of the – like. I wouldn't say that. Like, I, I, I kind of think that, like, it was a perfect situation for Nick Foles to go into that Eagles team and be like, okay, I can command this offense. But did the Bears think that, like, that could be the same situation in Chicago? I think so. Going back, so that's a great point. The 2017 Eagles, I think their offensive line that year, I mean, I, I'd have to go look, like, at PFF or something to look at the numbers. But, like, I know Jason Kelsey, I think Jason Peters was – was on that line. I mean, they had like two or three dudes that were like all pro pro bowlers. Like, you know, that offensive line was mowing people down and obviously their skill position players were, were pretty, were pretty solid that year too. And they just got average quarterback play from their polls. And then, I mean, if we look back into their, their season, you know, when Wentz got hurt, those last couple of games of the regular season, Foles struggled. He wasn't good at all. It was, I think he had like the one or two good playoff games. Obviously, you know, he had a Super Bowl for the ages. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't great. He played great in the big stage, but he wasn't like great, but obviously he had all the pieces around him. And, you know, like I said before about the offensive line, when we talk about quarterback play too, like it's, it's dependent on all the other positions, guys doing their jobs, guys being in the right spots, guys trusting their footwork. Um, you know, there, there's just, it's football is the ultimate team game. And if, you know, I think this year is a great example of, you know, Nick Foles, you know, he's, you know, an average NFL, you know, an average backup, an average NFL quarterback, you know, an average skill set guy when he comes into a bad situation. I mean, that's what it looks like. I mean, he's not going to play well. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's it, he from what he was this year is not terribly far off for what he was for the average of that 2017 stretch. If you take out the, you know, the incredible Super Bowl. Now, what now, now tying into what Usaid said about the uh, about the offensive line and how that's important and how David Montgomery broke off that 80 yard run. Like, um, do you think the importance of the offensive line? Like, I mean, I was just one of the critics from day one. Like, why did we play Richard Coward at the guard position? Like, I, I, I don't even like I don't even care like how a converted defensive tackle can be a person that can be on a offensive line. Like when you have two, like I, I wouldn't say Alex, but because I'm a huge Notre Dame fan, Bobby, and like when I watch Mustafir on the scout team, and when I watch Alex Bart. But bars on a scout team and I believe Quentin Nelson was on the same um, scout team as Alex bars was way back in 2016 so I mean obviously and Harry Heisted was the offensive line coach back then too and it's just like I just don't know where the coaching came into play of playing Rashad Coward like you mentioned for the first 10 weeks before the bye and then when you switch to Mustafir and bars Montgomery oh my god 80 yards like that was refreshing to see. I mean, I hit my betting prop. Um, it was, I think 65 or 66 yards, but I mean, that was refreshing to see. Right. But then after that, we switch possessions, Houston turns, turn, turns the ball over and who say it and Sam, what happened? Cordero Patterson happened. 
Like, why don't you go back to the person that gave you an 80 yard touchdown? Like, you know, this, you're a coach, right? Like, would you go back to David Montgomery all the time? Yeah. I mean, you you definitely, you definitely should probably go back to Dave Montgomery, you know, more, more often in that case, especially after the long run, you know, you want to go with the hot hand. You want to stick with a hot hand. Um, That's, that's a, you know, that's, that's a, a pretty common coaching, successful coaching philosophy. And David Montgomery, he's, he's been interesting to watch. He, his vision the last few weeks, and obviously the offensive line's been playing better, so like you got to preface it with that. But his vision's been a lot better. His cuts have been a lot better. There were times where earlier in the season, I don't know if this was just a lack of trust with the offensive line, but you know, even in year two, where he'd run the outside zone scheme, and as a running back, your aiming point on outside zone is you aim for what's depending if you're running like an outside zone or a mid zone, but you aim for the basically the, the tight end, the play side tight end or ghost tight ends outside hip. And you read it one gap at a time working back inside. Well, there'd be a lot of times where he would, he would just start basically aiming for like the play side B gap and he wouldn't even try to press the play. And when, as a running back, when you don't press outside zone, what you're doing is you're basically condensing the linebackers and you're condensing the box tighter so that the, those cutback lanes aren't as wide. You have to stretch it first and then stick your foot in the ground and cut. And that was a huge problem I had with David Montgomery, especially since outside zone is, you know, the bread and butter scheme for the bears because everything builds around it, you know, RPO game, play action game, bootleg game. Um, so, so not being good at that really hurt him, but he's been so good at that lately. And that touchdown runs a good example. He presses. If you, if you, if you rewatch that touchdown run, he presses that front side C gap so hard. Initially, the first play side linebacker works to fight over the top, making the center's block so much easier. Cause now he can just wash out, you know, they're, they're com- him comboing with the play side guard. They can wash that one technique out to the linebacker. And now that cutback lane is huge. So that was a great example of growth and development from a second year player half, you know, halfway through his second season. That was, that was uh, great to see. So sticking with the offensive line, a lot of people are like, okay, well the bears might have something in Sam Mustafir and Alex bars, whatever happens with Bart, cause they're going to have to shuffle the offensive line next year. Anyway, in terms of draft picks or whether you keep a guy like bars and Mustafir, but do you, my question is, do you think Mustafir can be the guy in the middle for the bears at center? So I definitely haven't watched closely enough. Like I said, I haven't like downloaded the tape or cut it up, but um, you know, if they're, if he's playing well now and he's competent, I mean, you know, that's, you know, he's earning, he's earning a chance to fight for it. Right. Like at least, you know, he should at least be, you know, in the competition, but I, I can't answer that, you know, as, as far as like, yeah, I see the answer going forward or not. I haven't, I haven't watched that closely. So I guess, I guess kind of to, to ask about the offense as a whole, and, and, you know, obviously the future of, of Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace is up in the air and stuff. Um, I guess my question is, is in 2021, the Bears are going to have foals on this roster. I mean, I, I don't see them being able to offload that contract. Um, do you think that it's more of a priority for the Bears to address this offensive line? Just because I obviously I know Mustafir is playing well, but in general, the offensive line hasn't been great all of 2020 or going into the draft is the priority to get the future quarterback because the bears are going to be in an interesting spot, obviously either whether they go seven and nine or nine and seven, the last couple of games will impact their draft positioning. And obviously like we don't need to name specific guys they should go after, but if you're the GM of the bears, are you prioritizing the offensive line or the quarterback position? Or is there another area of the offense you would rather touch on in the draft? Offensive line and quarterback are definitely the two most important. Um, the, so that, that's an interesting question. And I look, and I want to look at it from kind of a different vantage point. Okay. Is it Ryan Pace going in picking? Because if it's Ryan Pace picking, you got to swing at the, you got to take another swing at quarterback because if you don't, and you just run it back with Foles and, you know, whoever else you sign or whatever, 
you know, and you're done and like next year flops again, like you're not getting another swing at it. But if you take it, if you draft a quarterback, okay, now you're starting to wheel all over again with, you know, the young draft pick, he's got to grow and develop the offense, Like you're almost buying yourself time. Right. So like if I'm Ryan Pace, like, and like, I hate to, I hate to frame it in that way. Right. But like, you know, it's, it's all about surviving in the NFL. Like it's so hard to even good coaches get canned, they get fired, they get let go. I mean, it's, you know, especially obviously general managers too, you know, you got to, at times it's a game of survival. And if, if you got a quarterback that you believe in, that's there, you got to pull a trigger. Um, if you're Ryan Pace and then, you know, on the other side of that coin, if it's a new GM or a new president of football operations or whatever the bears decide to do, um, you know, from that aspect and you're a new GM, there's less pressure on you in year one to get that quarterback, you know, kind of like, you know, I think Pace with, you know, a picture of the scheme like year three or whatever, right? Like, you know, there's less pressure. You, you build the rest of the roster too. It, you got more time. So I think if you frame it that way, you know, if I'm a new GM coming in, there's less pressure picking the court, unless your guy's there. If your guy's there, you take him, you know, or if you have the ability to trade up for, you know, for your guy, assuming it's not Mitch Trubisky, um, you know, you, you do it. But if not, then you definitely got to take the best player available. You don't want to reach for a quarterback. You, you can't, you can't do that. All right, that was like a perfect answer. Thank you. No, I, I completely – I love Sam's question, man. Just to piggyback off your question, man, I'm, I'm looking up as I say this to God right now, and I'm just like, I just hope he doesn't, like, pick the wrong quarterback again. Like, I really want Zach Wilson, but, like, since, that, since we're starting to win these games and starting to be a little bit more competitive, and if we, by some miracle – we make the playoffs and we're the 20th pick. I just don't see this bears team moving up 13 spots to go get Zach Wilson. That's just a lot of capital. Right. I mean, like I would love to see Zach Wilson in the bears uniform, but then if we, if, if we finish like eight and eight or something like that, and we're picking at like 17 or 18, I would go offensive lineman, you know, like I'm an advocate to like, you know, fixing the offensive line, like Alex Bars and Mustafir could be those gems that Ryan Pace found. And like like you mentioned, the new GM, because I, I am on the fence of Ryan Pace a little bit. If the Bears do hire a new GM, I certainly don't see them drafting a quarterback. I don't think I don't think it, they're going to go that way. I think it's going to go offensive line or some offensive weapon, and I think they're going to stick with Nick Foles. Like, I mean, I don't know, like – what do you think? It just depends. It, de- it depends how the draft shakes out, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if, if one of those guys, if you, if, if your quarterback's there and he's within reach, you know, for a small trade up or something, you got to do it. If not, you know, best player available, you know, that's, it's just, there's so many, there's so many variables when it comes to the draft too. Like it's hard to, you know, even, even before round one starts, it's hard to project, you know, like, okay, who should they take? Well, it's like, well, who gets taken before them? And you know, it's all about who's on their board and stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to project and it's hard to say. I mean, that's, and that's why those guys make those, that, that kind of money. I mean, and that's why there's so much pressure, you know, because you can't, you know, if you, if you mess up the pick like you did with Mitch, I mean, it's, you suffer, you know, for years. Hey, Bobby. So listen, we hit the 30 minute mark, right? So we're going to get you out of here because we know you have to get back to work, but uh, thanks so much for being on, you know, and let us know if you ever need anything in the future and we'd be happy to have you on again sometime. Yeah. Any, anytime you guys want to talk bears or talk football in general, I'm always down. So. Absolutely. All right. We'll get you out of here, man. Thanks once again. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Appreciate it, Bobby. All right. That was Bobby Peters. You can find his book off Amazon. It's the 2018 Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual. You can hit him up on Twitter at B underscore Peters one, two. We're going to get into the 
recap of the Houston game now, guys. AJ, I'll start with you on this one. Kind of what were your initial impressions of this game? You know, man, I love to win. You know, I have this winner's mentality, you know, as a person. Um, and I just want this Bears team to win. You know, like, who wouldn't want this Bears team to win? Like, if we – like, let me put it this way. If we do have a blink chance, like um, a small chance, not a blink, a small chance of making the playoffs, like I saw 17% chance, right? I mean, let's just try. Like, I get that the Lions lost hurts, you know, but if we won this game – and like I heard, I heard from a couple of guys that like if Arizona loses one game and if they have the Rams in Week 17, and if we win out somehow, then we're in the seventh seed. So to me, that's a that's a huge possibility that like you know if we can find some mojo, and I think this 36 to seven win over the Houston Texans, you know, can provide that mojo for the Vikings the Jaguars and the Packers game, then I, I do think that this team has an opportunity to go nine and seven, but, uh, but another thing, I'm not getting too excited though. Right. We saw that Tampa Bay win back in week five, I think it was. And look what happened. We lost six straight. All right, guys. So let's not get too excited. I mean, I, I love what Mitch Trubisky put on display. I loved it a lot. I loved the, I loved um, the run game despite Cordell Patterson being in the game after David Montgomery's 80-yard run, which was ridiculous to me, right? Allen Robinson played well, I think, over a buck 25, a, a touchdown. You know, Darnell Mooney played well. Uh, Anthony Miller is slowly playing well. Bars and Mustafir is playing really, really well. I mean, better than Coward. You know, we saw Rashad Coward is worthless defensive tackle converted to an offensive guard for the first 10 weeks. God knows how long it took the coaching staff to figure that out, that two Notre Dame offensive linemen. By the way, Notre Dame is offensive line university. You don't play those two instead of Rashad Coward, right? So, I mean, now you can see this Bears team start to come together as you pictured it to be. Like, the offensive line is coming together. The run game with Montgomery is coming together just a bit. Um, And if Nagy doesn't get cute with the run game – and doesn't get cute with the pass game, then I, I think we got a chance here for these last three games. So I'll leave it at that. But I'm not excited, though. I think um, just looking at it short term, just the weekend game, it felt good to have all three of the phases of the game playing well. This was definitely a great bounce-back game for the defense. And I'll give Deshaun Watson credit. You know, he still played a, a solid game. Um, you know, I, I said he was going to throw all over us, and he didn't really, which I'm glad I'm able to eat my own words on that. Um, I was pretty impressed with the offense. Uh, if you look at individual stats, Cody Whitehair had a, a zero pressures on 39 pass blocking snaps as a guard, um, which got him a PFF grade of 92.9, which is the highest he's ever gotten, which is incredible. I've, I've always liked Whitehair, but... If you also look at just the whole offensive line, like obviously we've been giving Mustafir praise and praise and praise, and I'm sure I just butchered his name, but whatever. But he's been playing great. I mean, everyone on the line played great, and obviously that opened up huge opportunities for David Montgomery. But it just felt good to watch a team play well in all three phases of the game. Special teams dominated. Our defense had seven sacks. Khalil Mack looked like he was back. Um you know, Roquan Smith, and we got to give a lot of credit to Roquan Smith because he has been playing lights out football all year this year. Um, 
And obviously, you know, the biggest storyline is Mitch had a great game. And this was, here's the thing, uh, to kind of AJ's point about getting overly excited. This was the 31 ranked defense in the league, I think, or something like that. Um, at least their run defense was or something like that. I mean, Houston's defense is not good outside of J.J. Watt. But again, you should beat a team with a bad defense like this. Your quarterback should play like this against a bad defense. Your run game shouldn't be that open. So I'm not going to take credit away from Mitch because, again, I think he played a great game. Um, but what impressed me most was the schematic changes from the offensive and defensive coordinators. I think Bill Lazor pl- probably called his best game as offensive coordinator, and I think Chuck Pagano made great adjustments. The defense looked so much more aggressive than it has all season, and the offense it looked like a competent offense. I mean, Laser made good changes to the offensive play calling, shuffled up everything that they were trying to do the past bajillion years this season has been. I mean, it was that to me as a Bears fan gave me a little bit of hope. Like, okay, they're starting to finally acknowledge that what they were trying to do in the beginning wasn't working anymore. So in the short term, this is a great win. Felt great to be a Bears fan on Sunday. Yeah, dude, my initial impressions, and I wrote this in one of my post-game recaps that dropped on Bear Report today. Actually, I was like, look, there's a reason that the offensive resurgence rematters. Now, I look at it, and I, I think if I could pick like a couple turning points in the Bears season, first one would be obviously Foles, or Mitch being benched for Foles. The second one would be Nagy handing over the play calling to Bill Lazor. And then the third one would be Nick Foles getting hurt. And I think the Nick Foles one is the most significant here because like Nick Foles getting hurt is what enabled Mitch Trubisky to get back into the game. And the last three games like Green Bay, Detroit and Houston, we've seen like Mitch hasn't played dude up to the second overall pick, right? The expectations that have been placed underneath him. He's never going to hit those expectations unless like he ends up significantly, you know, turning things around. But like what Mitch has done is played well enough so that the Bears aren't the reason that, like, he's losing games. Because Nick Foles, like Bobby kind of mentioned and hinted at this indirectly, was, like, the reason that the Bears were losing games, you know? Because, I mean, Foles is just the type of guy where everything around him needs to be perfect for him to even be, like, semi-functional. But, like, yo, we're in December now. We're playing, like, meaningful meaningful football it matters you know we're looking at like mustafir and i don't know why everyone i I don't even know if it's mustafa or mustafir we'll find out eventually but like yo these guys are building blocks right and then like cole Komet's emergence like everyone's like why didn't you put cole Komet in earlier i'm like okay yeah it sucks but then at the same time like the fact that we're seeing what cole Komet can eventually become robocall you know it's big because like that matters the second half of the season that carries over to next year you know a rob has eclipsed a thousand yards again like mooney and miller combined for like four receptions this game but like who cares because the offense was being efficient dude they were moving the ball when it mattered the most and like i don't want like a super flashy offense that's gonna put up like 50 points a game like the chiefs do you know like i just want one that's gonna be semi-competent and get the damn job done and like compliment what the defense is giving you each week and that's another big thing is you know this season i've tweeted about this almost every game is that the defense puts the offense in a position to win and the offense fails to capitalize dude the last this houston game was an embodiment of that right of the defense putting the offense in a position to win and the offense finally capitalizing um this is a this is a stat to kind of go off of the offense again um it it was tweeted from uh good morning football um, the difference in Trubisky's and Foles' stats this year 
is crazy. Um, Mitch is averaging 27.5 points a game as a starter to full 16.7. I'm not going to read through every single one of these lists, but the numbers are, are absolutely drastic. I'll actually send this to you guys in our, in our Twitter group chat. Shout out uh, Austin for uh, tweeting this out. But obviously, Mitch has played teams that weren't as strong in terms of strength of the schedule as Foles has, right? I will give Foles that much. Like, he... He had to play a good Colts defense, a good Rams defense, pretty solid Saints defense, whereas his Mitch had to play the Lions twice um, and obviously Houston, right? So would Mitch put up the same kind of numbers against some of these better defenses? I don't know. And, and I think that's the thing. It's like before we, we you know, say that Mitch looks like an all-new quarterback and you know, is playing for a new contract, he's playing against some weak defenses right now. But it is crazy how bad Foles has looked and how good Mitch has looked the past couple of weeks. Even in that uh, Packers game is kind of an exception because I know in that Packers game, we just looked we looked like a peewee football team out there. But it is crazy to me how it took an injury for us to kind of realize that we had the wrong guy in that quarterback. Because I will be completely honest, I think Mitch should have been in now. Now that I am looking at the season as full term, like, and, and I'm not trying to take away from Foles because I, I do admit like the move to Foles and we wouldn't have won that Falcons game if Mitch was still in, honestly. Like I think putting Foles in was the right call there. But in terms of the long longevity of the season, like if the Bears end up finding a way to make the playoffs, this Foles move to starter is gonna look really bad. Yeah, dude, I said this when people were talking about like, oh, just you need to go back to Mitch when we were, because we just snapped a six-game losing streak. But like I said this when we were losing like four or five straight, I was like, dude, if you bench Mitch, the moment you bench Mitch, you basically admitted that, yo, your original plan, your original plan at QB failed. And I don't want to hear any of this while Nagy's not Trubisky's quarterback because like you took this job in Chicago knowing you'd have to work with Trubisky. So we can throw that argument out the window, both literally and figuratively. But like my whole thing is this, right? It's like you bench Mitch, so you're making you're admitting you made a mistake. Then you bench Foles because of an injury, right? And then you're basically admitting your your backup plan for Mitch failed. And now Mitch is coming in and looking even better. So it just makes like Nagy look like that much more stupid. And like Albert Brood, because I asked him this on Periscope Live last night, essentially, what do you think happens? Like Brood no one has any idea what's going to go on in Chicago, right? So, like, if Pace is around next year, but Nagy gets fired, like, I could see the reasons why, because Pace has gotten this team some talent, right? And I'm not a big fan of Pace either, by the way, for those of you listening. But, like, my whole thing is this, dude. It's like, Nagy kind of failed, and sometimes, like, when students are failing, more so it's on the teacher than it is on, you know, the students, right? But, like, yo, Nagy failed, so, like, Foles' injury could be labeled like a blessing in disguise. And I wrote this in one of my articles. So I was like, yo, 17 points under Foles, like that's what they were averaging, right? Like that's never going to get it done in a league where it's so offensive driven, right? And now as you look forward to like this coming Sunday against the Vikings, like I don't know what the, I don't even know what the lines are because Vegas hasn't dropped them because it's only Wednesday. But like, I think the Vikings open up as like a three point favorite per Brad Biggs's like tweets right but like dude i would say we definitely have a bigger shot of winning this game and i look back and i realize like yo what would the bears record be had they just stuck with mitch right because i think there's serious argument like they went toe-to-toe with the saints with nick Foles, right at quarterback could they have beaten a team like the titans could they have beaten a team like the um you know the saints could they have beaten um 
you know, I know Tennessee and whoever else they played, like, could they have beaten the Vikings, dude? So my point is, is it's like, maybe if you did stick with Mitch is playing some weaker defenses right now. Yeah. Which is why he looks a bit better. But like, I seriously think there would have been an argument for like two to three more wins. And this team would have been like seven and five, eight and five. Had they stuck with Mitch Trubisky all the way through. Yeah. Here's my thing on that. Like when I was, when I was watching the first three weeks, like I, like I was, I was pretty sure I was at Austin's game for the Atlanta game, and we were like, when when uh, when Nick Foles won that game, we we're like jumping around in the apartment. I'm sure um, you guys saw that video and stuff. And like, I mean, and then I thought at that moment, like, all right, Nick Foles, with the even with the bad offensive line, right, could lead this team because he could he could have that 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 like that quick release throws, like he get the, he can get the ball out quick, right. But here's the thing, though. Like, I don't think that, like, none of our wide receivers are, like – well, I think that the wide receivers were getting open. I just think Nick Foles were, wasn't seeing them. Like, like I mean, I mean, like, like that, that Saints game, it, like, that's different. All right, all right. You take the whole six-game sample from week four to, I think, it was, it was week ten, right? So that six-game sample – Take out the Saints game, right? That's the game where he actually threw the ball well, right? But then look at the Titans game. Did he throw the ball well there? Not really, right? What about that Rams game? Did he throw the ball there? What? He missed Darnell Mooney twice over the top, if I remember correctly. Darnell Mooney burned Jalen Ramsey, and he missed him. Like, I don't know how that, that can – Sam Darnold can make that throw. And he's made that throw to um, Jamison Crowder a couple of times this year already with the worst offensive line. So you can't like, like everything, like you guys were talking about, you guys hit, hit the nail on it perfectly. Everything needs to be perfect for Nick Foles to be a successful quarterback. He's not that good. I mean, I guess we just bought into the hype that like, all right, you have all these coaches come in and they can, they can um, be around Nick Foles and help him succeed. Nah, that's not how this works. Like if your offensive line isn't good, and it can't like protect Nick Foles for like even two seconds, it's going to be bad. All right. Outside of that Saints game, you name me one game where the protection, where the protection was good. All right. Well, you, you only need a second and a half or two seconds, right. For a quick release throw. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. You just need a slant over the middle. Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney can run that play. Even the Allen Robinson can run that play. Right. You just need to scheme your offense around that. And I think that's where Nagy failed a little bit. And that's where I think Foles fell because then you saw that Tampa Bay game. How how do we win that game? You know he took over. He's he's like yelling Nagy in the side. He's like yelling at Nagy over in the sidelines, right? He's like, you need to let me call this offense or whatever. And then he comes out to the next um next drive and he ends up winning the game for us. So it's it's kind of a mix of things, I think. Dude, I'm pretty sure in that Tampa game when um. They took, like, I'm pretty sure Rashad Coward went out of that game, right? Like, as soon as Alex Bars came into the game is when things started clicking. So, it's got to be some, like, Notre Dame magic, right? But, like, looking forward to this Sunday, dude, like, I feel so bad for Darnell Mooney because, like, in my eyes, had he had stable quarterback play, like, he probably would have been in, you know, and this is a scorching hot take, right? Sam's holding the jersey up. Dude, I'm getting a Mooney jersey in the offseason, right? But, like, speaking of Mooney, dude, like, my scorching hot take for him is I firmly believe he should be in conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year. But, like, bad quarterback play has, like, the Bears have had good young receivers over the last couple of years, like Mooney, Miller, uh, Riley Ridley even. 
but their production has looked so bad because of just shaky QB play right now. One of the things that I'm looking forward to here again in this Vikings game is like, let's be real, dude. I think with Mitch, I mean, he's his ability. We already know it to extend plays is going to open up more opportunities against a shaky Viking secondary. And this is a game where I see like Darnell Mooney, you know, getting a touchdown. I mean, for me, dude, the Vikings are not a good team because they start off like what one in five. And then as soon as Dalvin cook came back and he was able to mask a lot of the deficiencies that, $91 $91 million man Kirk Cousins has as a QB, their offense took off, right? And like what sucks though is this is when we look back at that Vikings game that the Bears lost on Monday night, like that was a game where had the Bears won, they would have been in the playoffs right now. Like when you look at that game, dude, Nick Foles was garbage, dude. He they they all all the defensive coordinator did, or Mike Zimmer, I think he calls the defensive plays, I think. He just rushed on third down. Just go after Nick Foles. That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. You uh, you say it. I mean, wasn't, I'm here. wasn't our only score that game a kick return for a touchdown? Yeah, exactly. That, that's the like that. That's where I don't blame Nagy. That's where I blame the ineptness of Nick Foles running this offense. You know, you need to have the ability as a veteran QB in this league to get rid of the ball quicker. And as he was getting the, uh, get, getting rid of the ball quicker, he throws it in bounds and he gets an interception, dude. That that Rams game, he just chucks it up and he he turns it over. You know, I mean, like sometimes I don't blame Matt Nagy. Sometimes I just blame um Nick Foles' ineptness to throw the ball. And I saw that in these six games, but I just cut off you said in the most disrespectful way. Go ahead, man. No, I'm good, dude. I'm eating my um. I went to Trader Joe. No, my mom went to Trader Joe's, dude. So I got this jingle jangle. Um, oh my god, you know, mitts, dude. Oh, yeah. It's ten bucks. It's expensive, but yeah. it's totally worth it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go back later today and get some more, right? But dude, sticking uh, with this. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say before we get back into the preview for this Vikings game and talk about it a little bit, Bears fans, let's make something very clear. Was the is Mitch been playing better football than Foles this year? Uh, I I would say at this point yes, and obviously there's three games left to determine that. But Mitch Mitch looked good last weekend. Mitch played very well. Mitch Trubisky will not be a Chicago Bear in 2021. If he is, this organization will continue to fail because Mitch Trubisky is not the future quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He had plenty of years to prove himself that he was a good quarterback, that he could make these steps, he could make these progressions, and he failed. Right, And you can blame Matt Nagy, you can blame a bad offensive line, whatever it is, but watch the tape. Watch how bad Mitch was in 2019, okay? And look, I love Mitch as a guy. He is a guy that I will root for, and I hope he is, you know, I hope he plays himself into a nice, fat contract next year so that we can get a good compensatory pick. But he will not be on this roster next year. If the Bears re-sign him next year, they will have failed as an organization, and we will go nowhere. I'm happy for Mitch. I hope Mitch plays us into a playoff berth, but he will not be a Chicago Bear in 2021. Honestly, the I way this... I agree with that. Yeah, let me add on to what Sam said, right? Like, if Mitch leads us to the playoffs and we go on some magical run, um, that's going to be great, right? Because, like, end-all, be-all is... And Nagy said this at the ultimate goals to win a Super Bowl, right? Um, But, like, for me, dude, I had a weird dream, right? Where <laughs> it was like, no. yo, Mitch is... Not going to be here in 2021. He's going to go to the Patriots and take off. And then in 10 years, when Bill Belichick retires at like 90 years old or whatever, Mitch is going to sign a one-year deal. Him and his, he'll have a noodle arm at that point. So he's going to sign noodle arm and noodle legs, dude. And he's going to sign a one-year deal with the Bears and come back and lead us to the playoffs and then end up as the greatest QB in Bears history. Like, 
that was all, that was my weird dream, dude. In all honesty, I could totally see Mitch being a Patriot and win the Super Bowl. Like I could see Belichick restructuring that entire offense for Mitch, oh, getting yeah. all their defensive pieces back in 2021, and I could see the Patriots bouncing right back next year. Like like as crazy as that sounds, like Mitch Trubisky looks would look perfect in a in a Patriots uniform and might actually would probably lead that team to the playoffs next year because they're not bringing Cam Newton back. That's for sure. That experiment has failed. Um, but yeah, that is. You said I. I there's a part of me that hopes that dream comes true because that would be hilarious. Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, guys, though, Mitch isn't going to be a bear in 2021. I'm rooting for the guy to go get a nice fat contract with a team that will pay him, but he's not going to be a bear. It's just not going to be a bear. Like even even if Ryan Pace does get fired, the new GM is going to it's just going to be like, nah, I don't want you. So I mean, like he, because the new GM probably saw him for four years, and it's just like I don't want you being the quarterback of my team when I'm when I'm like I don't want to get fired in like a couple of years. So I mean, like he's just probably going to start fresh too. I can imagine that as well as Sam. So I mean. You know, I mean, I'm I'm rooting for Mitch. I mean, like, you know, guys, Bears Twitter out there. Like, you know, I've been pretty, like, like I, I canceled out Mitch in week three. And I, I was just tired of this guy, like, you know, just, just sucking it up. But, like, you know, this guy, like, showed some damn pride these last two games. You know, and, like, it made me, it made me, like, made me feel good a little bit. Like, to be, like, that, like, you know, like, people – you know, it's especially like guys like like this guy, like I think Swithinism, I think. He's like this big Mitchell Trubisky supporter. And like I lashed out on him this one day that Nick Foles is <laughs> that Nick Foles is better than um uh Mitch Trubisky. And like I guess like I turned out to be wrong and I I'm willing to like uh, admit it as a man that like Nick Foles is not better than Mitch Trubisky right now because it's just like you look at this offense, you look at his ability to extend plays. Nick Foles doesn't have that. And I really think against this Vikings team this Sunday, we got a chance, you know? I mean, that, that Vikings defense isn't all that good. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars went toe-to-toe against them. You know, they, uh, they lost to the Buccaneers, I think, this past weekend. So, I mean, we got a chance here, folks. We could win these next two games against the Vikings and Jags. You got me. You got Hurricane Asia Category 8 in your boat for the for the Week 17 playoff matchup or a chance for a playoff matchup. I'm sorry. Oh, and that's going to be a huge game if we win the next two weeks. Yeah, we need to win these next two games. Win these next two games, and then I will be excited. So what, what I'll say is this, right? Is I think, like, this Houston game was also a turning point for what's to come because the defense was re-energized again. Like seven sacks, they had like what two turnovers? As, I mean, they forced like what two turnovers? I think there was the one fumble, and then I think because there was a special teams one too. Um, yeah. yeah, there was at least two. Yeah, but the turnovers came. I really think, dude, like Khalil Mack set out to prove something. Okay, because we saw the Khalil Mack of old despite him playing with the shoulder and the knee and the ankle injuries. And I really think like this Sunday, dude, the bears have their mojo back. Like you could just tell the whole team is energized with Mitch playing. Um, I'm going to say, you know, defense has another strong performance. Cause I just like bitches always beat up on the Vikings. He lost to the Vikings. The last time was December 31st, 2017, according to our boy, the windy city prods who will hopefully have on in a couple of weeks, the prominent YouTuber, but like, dude, the bears, right? I, they're set out to prove something. They know that mathematically they're not out of it. They know that they're still going to be in every game. This team is too good to tank and no one's going to let them tank. Anyway, I would 
going to go ahead and say this, dude. I think the Bears are winning on Sunday 33-17. to 17. Um, And I think that if we get another 30-plus point performance, right, like, then whether you're a Bears fan or not, like, you got to start looking into this team. Like, this could be the one team this year that magically goes on a run because what happens every couple of years is there's a team that, you know, starts out fast and then they stumble and everyone's like, oh, they're out of it. They're looking forward to 2021 or the next season already. And then they magically go on a run because they stack some wins. I think the Bears are that team this year. Yeah, I am. uh, I'm all in on the uh, on the miracle on the miracle run. I mean, the Titans did it last year and, you know, they they got pretty far. Obviously, I'm going to lower my expectations a little bit because again we have to beat a vikings team that we lost to earlier in the year and bells with nick Foles, though of course of course of course nick Foles. we've met yeah he's not good and obviously i can't i can't believe it i'm sorry (laughs) no you're good you're good i i parallel your thoughts there i agree um i think that this will be a game that the bears are going to come out and be the better team um, one thing I will note is we need to make sure we keep an eye on the situation with Jalen Johnson. I don't know if that injury of his is, is nagging him still. Um, but he had some struggles in that Vikings game against Justin Jefferson, who, while I do like that Darnell Mooney, uh, offensive rookie of the year take, you said, I think Justin Jefferson might have you beat there. Even if Mooney had competent quarterback play, I mean, Jefferson's on a whole nother level. Um, that being said though, I think this defense is going to dominate Kirk Cousins. I, I do not. I mean, they held him to 19 points in that game regardless. Um, and I will give the Vikings some credit. You know, I think had they had a competent kicker this past weekend, I think they beat the Buccaneers, um, but they didn't. And, I mean, Dan Bailey, I don't know what was going on there. But I think when the reality of it is, is that I think the Spurs offense is still going to play pretty good. Um, I think my score prediction is going to be more uh, 28 Bears, 17 Vikings. Uh, I think they're going to get right under 30, but I still think this offense is going to cook. And let me say one thing. If, even if the Bears don't score a lot of touchdowns, the reliability at kicker this year has been tremendous. I mean, Santos, you know, is guaranteed to make those kicks. I mean, I'm able to look down at my phone when he's kicking. Like, he, I have never felt that assured about a kicker since Robbie Gould. Um, Again, I think 28 Bears, 17 Vikings. I think this is going to be another game we should win. And, you know, I like the energy of this team. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to kick some Viking ass. And speaking of kickers, Cody Parkey's, you know, things are getting back to normal because Cody Parkey's missing field goals. Browns, you need to cut him now. If you want any chance to go far in the playoffs, do not do this to yourselves. I, I he's, he's gonna ruin it for the Browns, dude. He's gonna do the exact same it. thing for them. They're gonna get yeah. they're gonna get in a game with I don't know what seed they'll probably be like five or something like that. I don't because I don't think they're gonna win the division something or like that, yeah. something like that. They're gonna get into a close game because I think actually their offense looks okay. They're gonna get into the exact situation where it's gonna come down to a kick. Browns fans and Browns organization, I am begging you to cut this guy. I, I, cause I will actually root for the Browns in the playoffs just because of how cool that would be. Do not keep Cody Parkey on your team. Go sign somebody else. I do not want another franchise to suffer. Like we did. Please don't keep him for the game, man. Oh my gosh. Honestly, dude, my, my whole thing is I don't want Cody Parkey to, yeah, you never want to see another team bounce out of the playoffs because of the same guy that bounced your team out of the playoffs. But like, I think the Browns are going to be a one-and-done team, right? Anyway, even if Parkey kicks in a playoff game or not, just because you look at that roster, dude, outside of Odell, well, Odell Beckham's out for the year, but like outside of Kareem Hunt and I want to say probably Jarvis Landry, right? There's no one that's really on the offense. Nick Chubb. That Nick has Chubb. playoff experience, Sam. You didn't oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, I got oh, yeah, yeah. Nick Chubb was out. Yeah, I forgot about that. 
I'm just I'm really yeah. hyped up about this park he takes. So continue, you said my bad. No, that's what I'm gonna say, so, like, AJ. You know, what's oh go ahead. Oh my bad. So like I'm just gonna keep my preview short. Stop stop Kirk Cousins, stop Delvin Cook. I guess we're pretty good at that. Um I mean he had over like thirty carries last time. Um, like ninety yards, but like I think most of those came in the second half. So I mean like if we can keep him like limited, that'd be pretty good. I mean we did limit him last time. It's just he didn't get into the end zone either, so those two Adam Thielen touchdowns um, and um, some field goals there for the Vikings. But, yeah, Bears need to, uh, Bears need to do that. those things, stop the run, um, get pressure on Kirk Cousins. And I'll wrap it up here cause, because we're um, nearing that one-hour one mark here. Um, and then, I don't know, like, like Sam said, what the situation is with Jalen Johnson, um, but he needs to work that out because he did allow eight, yard, uh, eight receptions and 135 yards in a touchdown last time to Justin Jefferson, Jeff, Justin Jefferson. And we don't want him to be doing the gritty against us because that is just a cool, cool dance, but then again, a weird dance. But like I, I was trying to do it this morning when I was making my breakfast, but then I didn't know how to do it. But yeah, but like, give me the, give me the, Vi- uh, give me the Bears, ugh, Vikings, sorry. Give, give me the Bears 24 to 17. I really think this is going to be a close game. Um, and also looked at the lines. The Bears are plus three and a half. The Vikings are minus three and a half. And the money line for the Bears is plus 160. The money line for the Vikings is minus 114. The over under is, I think, 46. Yeah. So um, take a look at those bets. Uh, I really think the Bears Bears are going to win this game. So there you have it, you say. Yeah, anyways, that's going to about it do it for us because I'm tired and want to go to sleep. And Sam, I'm pretty sure, has to be at work. And I don't know. AJ's got to get ready for his other podcast, which is Fantasy Oddcast, right? But anyway, guys, follow me on Twitter at Usaid Kosher. Follow AJ on Twitter at AJDecide4. Follow Sam on Twitter at SJSteve9. I literally have it pulled up in front of me in our group chat. There we so go. I'm not going to butcher it. And then follow the uh, podcast, guys, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Barely underscore pod. We'll be back next week, hopefully after another Bears win, because I don't know what's going to happen if they lose this game. They're probably mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. But anyway, it's been fun. Uh, you know, thanks for tuning in, guys. Rate us five stars on iTunes. You can find us wherever Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., Stitcher, Deezer, every podcast platform that's out there. But we're gonna get out of here. Peace out, guys.